Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics out July 11th, 2018. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent Am. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Uh, we're going to talk about all 19 issues that are out this week. I hope I did my math right by counting. And then we're going to talk about the digital stuff that hits the apps, the collections, the stuff that's in Marvel Unlimited, all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to kick things off with a brand new, amazing Spider-Man, a new era. Wow. Uh, but... Tucker, before we do that, we do want to say, you know, obviously we just learned this past weekend that Steve Ditko, co-creator of Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Squirrel Girl, and so many others, he passed away. We found out that news late Friday night. His importance on comics cannot be overstated. Yeah. We'll talk about it more on This Week in Marvel later this week, but um, we're talking about an issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, it feels like a great week to celebrate him and his work and his creations because we have two Spider-Man issues. We have an issue of Squirrel Girl. We see Doctor Strange pops up in the Sanctum this week. So it's a really nice way to celebrate his legacy. And we're starting with a new era of his greatest ever creation. And it's also one of our ding-dang picks of the week. Oh, yeah. It's one of mine. It's... One of the first things I love about it, it's like 60, 80 yeah. pages, however long it is. So yeah. we did 800 was just like a month ago. Now we start back up with new creative team, which is led by uh, the writer and artist pairing of Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley with inks by Cliff Rathburn and colors by the mighty Laura Martin and letters by Joe Caramagna. It's exciting. It's weird, too, because for as long as I've been here, Dan Slott has been writing Spider-Man. And that's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. It's real, real something. But they know what they're doing. This is an amazing creative team. Uh, we open with this sweet moment from the past between Peter and Mary Jane and then going immediately into the mess that is Peter's current life. All of that is very solid Spider-Manning. That's a new thing I'm going to say, <laughs> Spider-Manning. If you didn't know, Peter is actually sharing an apartment with Randy Robertson and Boomerang. And... <laughs> I just love that Nick Spencer's like, I love Boomerang. I'm going to put Boomerang in stuff. <laughs> yeah. Screw everyone <laughs> else. And he's having a good time with it. I also love that Nick Spencer, who is, he loves his video games. I saw him at E3. You know, it opens up uh, with Boomerang playing Call of Duty Latveria at 5 a.m. so he can play with the Korean gamers. I understand that. I get that. That makes sense. It's a great little tiny reference. Also, I definitely want to play Call of Duty Latveria. Yeah. That would be <laughs> so fun. One of the major things here is obviously Ryan Otley. He's an incredible artist, and he is very much suited to draw Spider-Man. Totally. Uh, we get this gorgeous double-page spread of this massive superhero battle. We were talking about this beforehand. Right in New York City, you got Avengers, X-Men, and various other heroes versus villains. And Ryan, he crushes it. It's so good. That's the coolest part for me is not just that he's like incredible technically, but that kind of the tone the visual tone just works so perfectly in Peter Parker's world and I, as I was reading this I was just thinking back to Nick Lowe when it was announced that Ryan Otley was coming on board with Nick Spencer remembering Nick Lowe saying like Ryan Otley was born to draw Spider-Man and he's so right truly he even makes Gambit look cool <laughs> and you know that's tough because yeah. that guy he's the worst <laughs> sorry Kelly mm -hmm. also the triumvirate of Ryan's at Marvel is now Otley Stegman 
and Panagos were taking over. <laughs> I want to do like a boy band photo with the oh, three of us. Oh, yeah. Uh, wearing like neon colors and, and Jenkos. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. That would be so great. And all of this looks good, especially with Laura Martin's amazing colors, but it feels lighter. There's, you know, Parker fails and these big fights, and there's emotional stuff, especially with the Aunt May scene. It feels like a poppier story, which is really neat. Plus, there's a super creepy backup that will, I'm sure, be a part of everything mm-hmm. else. Now, you're asking, hey, Ryan, usually say, I'm going to talk about this more on This Week in Marvel. Well, we're changing things up a little bit. We're going to give our more in-depth impressions on our picks of the week here on Marvel's The Polis. We'll still talk a little bit about it so Jamie can chime in with her pick. But, you know, mixing things up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Following The Amazing Spider-Man, we have The Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. This is issue number 21, and it's written by Jody Hauser with art by Scott Koblish, colors by Ruth Redman, and letters by Joe Caramagna. One of my big takeaways from Amazing Spidey number one this week was I just loved so much how Nick Spencer wove in those little dance lot references, the themes that he pulled out. There's a superior Spider-Man. It's much bigger than a reference. It has a direct influence on on this storyline moving forward. And I loved that look at not just the recent history of Peter Parker, but also kind of the legacy of Dan Slott and Dan Slott's influence on the character, which has been massive, obviously. In a similar vein, I felt like those kind of little moments popped up in Renew Your Vows this week where it was kind of about the past and how that influences the present and the future in a really interesting way. Because in this issue, Annie Mae and MJ have some really emotional moments that are so great, but they specifically deal with Ben Riley. They talk about MJ's history with Peter and their relationship in a really big way and how that influences current events. But really excitingly for me is how the Osborne legacy is kind of transitioning into this new generation with Normie Osborne and how, you know, he's had a really interesting arc in Renew Your Vows overall, but seeing how he, you know, has been kind of a gray morally character in the past, he has a certain relationship with Annie May, but seeing how he may or may not now be pulled into the inevitable kind of via his DNA via his history, via his position in the family company and things like that. Seeing how that influences him now is super exciting. Uh, And I love there's a little moment where he says, like, as things are kind of happening, Peter pays him a visit and says, like, you know, besides the name and the hair, he's been okay. But uh, (laughs) it'll be really cool to see if and how that changes moving forward. Yes. Speaking of changes, Tuck, we've got champions... Here to give us some big changes. Issue number 22, written by Jim Zub, art by Kevin Labranda, colors by Marcio Menes, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Ch-ch-ch-champions! Ooh! Yeah! I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but big changes have been happening for the team at the end of Incredible Hulk, the run by Greg Pak and many amazing artists. Amadeus went through some big stuff. Now he's still green, kind of big. He's like a tall drink of water as opposed to Hulk size. Yeah. You know, he's going by a new codename, Braun, which as a fan of the wrestler Braun Strowman, I like the name. I like Braun Strowman. He's a big old dude. We get to see the debut of Ironheart's 3.0 armor. It's not a big spoiler because you see it right on the cover. Uh, and it says Ironheart debuts her new armor. And we get to see Sparky, the Vision family dog, which I was very happy about. Uh, of course, 
Kevin LeBranda coming in on the part one of this arc, crushing the art, really selling the kids' looks and their personalities, both in their expressions and their body language. And Sad Sam is the saddest. If yeah. you have not been reading the Infinity Countdown Champion series, you miss another big change that is reflected in this issue. We spoke about this before recording. It is kind of a theme throughout this week is changes and, and new status quos, things disrupting the current events of several different comics. And I think one that definitely falls into that category is Daredevil number 605, which is written by Charles Soule with art by Mike Henderson, colors by Matt Mila and letters by Clayton Cowles. Because, as we've seen, Mayor Fisk get taken out by the hand and Matt had to become the acting mayor of New York City, which then fell under attack by the hand and the beast. And there were so many different elements coming in. And that continues in a really big way in this issue. But I also want to give a special shout out to Foggy. Foggy Nelson has some great scenes in this issue. It felt like uh, the first scene in particular made me laugh so hard. It was like perfect foggy kind of looking out for Matt and kind of weaseling his way around. He, he, he ends up in conversation with an intern. He's like, at the end of the last issue, Mayor Fisk makes his return kind of, but he almost right away like passes out because he gets too angry. <laughs> and Foggy's like, so this means that Matt is still the mayor, right? And the intern's like, uh, I don't know. I'm an intern. I don't really have the authority. And, and Foggy's like, good, perfect. Matt's still the mayor. Um, things come to a head between... The heroes, the hand, the beast uh, in a really big way here. Obviously, it's the climax of this arc. And then finally, Mayor Fisk himself. And Matt, you know, makes some big moves. And I feel like there's a new but, you know, wonderfully familiar tone that's struck between these characters in this issue. I'm... Always excited to see what's coming next with Daredevil. There's uh, one of my favorite moments of this run happens in this issue. It's Blindspot talking with the police commissioner, Nalini Karnik. And it's just it's just this conversation about taking responsibility, stepping up to evil, game, recognizing game. It's really good, really well written, smart stuff. But my favorite panel of this issue, one of my favorite panels of the week, is Daredevil having leapt off a horse, swinging a bright sword at the beast of the hand. And the captions say, it's like two panels, I think. The captions say, I cannot see the light, so I must be the light. Mm. It was just, oh, I loved it. Yeah. So good. On to Deadpool Assassin number three. This is written by Colin Bunn, art by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell, colors by Edgar Delgado, Dono Sanchez Almada, and letters by Joe Sabino. I was not expecting this to continuously be the most violent and yeah. bloody, gory book we have. Holy free holies. It's <laughs> wild. Threnody, though, is a character who shows up in here, and she has a big role in this issue. I was trying to figure out how and why I knew her, but it's because she first appeared in one of the coolest issues ever, one of my favorite comics. It's an in-world handbook called Strife's Strike Files. It was a comic that told the bios and powers of a bunch of characters, but all from Strife's point of view. It's really weird and megalomaniacal mm. and very off-kilter. Like, you get a handbook and it's, like, all this stuff. But it's Strife, very, like, weird poetry-style writing, really, like... Fabian, uh, Nicieza, Scott Lebdell, whoever was working on it. I don't have it in front of me, but they just went ham on it. It's <laughs> so good. Uh, I loved it when I was a kid. And it's all tied to the greatest story of all time, Executioner Song. So, Threnody, 
first showed up in there, which was neat. She has these cool necroplasmic energy powers, meaning she gets power from the energies of people dying or dead and can turn that power into blasts. She can sort of heal herself, kind of can keep herself alive indefinitely. It's really, really neat stuff. Uh, I hope she shows up more, but it's just New Orleans, Deadpool, killing up a storm. (laughs) This is a book you're probably going to be super into if you like anything Deadpool. Next up is another mercenary assassin. This is Domino number four, which is written by the incredible, the master Gail Simone with art by David Baldion, colors by Jesus Abertov and letters by Clayton Cowles. And this is Jamie's pick of the week. And rightfully so, because I loved this issue as well. I thought it was so incredible. I want to give a special shout out to Jesus Abertov on the colors on this issue, which I thought were so great, uh, especially in these kind of flashback scenes as we go back to Project Armageddon, which is this like really messed up facility that kind of made Domino reluctantly into herself. This issue, though, is all about the relationship and dynamic that develops between Domino and, of all people, Shang-Chi. Oh, man, I did not expect this at all, but I loved it so much. So good. That's why I I think just so incredibly highly of Gail Simone, because it's like you wouldn't necessarily think of these two characters as two that whose dynamics would like fit perfectly together. But they so do. They so do. There's one page that I loved so much where essentially Shang-Chi is kind of training Domino and, you know, he is the master of Kung Fu. She is not. She's a great fighter. She's a great merc and assassin and things like that. But she, you know, doesn't hold a candle to him, at least at the start of this issue. There's a great page that is this kind of old school Kung Fu movie showdown montage type of thing. That page so cool. It's so cool where like, Domino is looking confident, steps up to Shang-Chi as they're training, and you just get a close-up on both their eyes, and then it's just, whoosh, is the caption. And then, before you know it, the next panel, Domino is on the ground. (laughs) And it just is like a perfect encapsulation of Shang-Chi and his fighting ability, because it's like, that is kind of, in a way, is the coolest way to show it, where you could try and illustrate and like make some really complex movements and, and try and put that down on the page. But at the end of the day, his speed and his technical ability is just best captured by like, it happened before you realized it happened. <laughs> and uh, that is what we feel here. It works so well. I loved it so much. Domino is continuing to just crush every single time out. Yeah. So many things happen as well in Exiles number five, written by Saladin Ahmed. Pencils and colors by Javier Rodriguez and inks by Alvaro Lopez. Oh my gosh. This was very close to being one of my picks, but if I had three picks, this would be there without question. I love this book so much. The thing about Exiles from the first iteration was they were saving things much bigger than themselves. And there was no guarantee who would survive. Death, defeat in the face of victory it's omnipresent and that that's been part of like the drama and the stakes of an exiles book. So it always hits you. And this book does that so well. Saladin channels the spirit, the energy, all those life and death stakes. He just gets at the friendships and loves and emotional intensity of the exiles. It's perfectly capitalized throughout this issue. This issue has Exiles plus young Nick Fury versus the Time Eater, who's Kang the Conqueror with cosmic reality-destroying powers. Now, there are some classic Exile characters who do show up in this issue, you know, as well as guest stars from previous issues of this run. Javier Rodriguez, though, 
my gosh. He he goes beyond next level in this issue. There's a page and it's super emotionally charged and it's devastating. But a third of it is a full-size vertical panel of a massive ship that is Kang's head. I don't know if it's a massive Kang and they turned it into a ship or whatever, but it's really gnarly and it's weird. And it's this Kang's face with an army of Kangs spilling out of it. It's just, I keep saying weird because he does weird so well. A couple of pages later, we have this big final fight and Javier draws 20 or so characters on one page and they're very detailed. It's not just like, oh, here's a couple in the foreground, a couple in the background. No, it's very detailed. The next page, it's a few dozen panels of fists attacking the Time Eater, framing the battle and the mega final moments of that. He's on another level. I think Saladin is just absolutely with him right there. Read this book. Yeah, it's this guy doesn't write traditional superhero comics. He likes the weird stuff. He does stuff that is so different, so unique, and we really feel that, and we'll talk about it a little bit later with Quicksilver as well. But right now, we're talking about Hunt for Wolverine, The Adamantium Agenda. This is number three, which is written by Tom Taylor with pencils by R.B. Silva, inks by Adriano Di Benedetto, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by Joe Sabino. I love this team in this book because they feels like they're not afraid to kind of bend the rules a little bit. Like they're willing to play a little bit dirty in order to get what they want. We get a really cool flashback as we have been getting throughout many of these Hunt for Wolverine uh, stories to a previous tiny relationship moment between a, a character and Logan. And in this one, we look back and we see a conversation between Tony Stark and Logan specifically about civil war. There's kind of some, some rare Tony Stark vulnerability that comes out and it just shows the personal power of Logan Howlett and how, because he's so no nonsense and because he just cuts straight to the chase. So many times you can feel that, when he means something and when he's not just being dismissive, when he's not just like sitting at the bar with his cigar saying like, leave me alone. When he actually takes a moment to talk to someone, you can feel those characters really respecting that and really willing to open up because they know when he means it, he means it. So it's a really cool little moment that we get in flashback. And then we get some awesome, awesome action in here with Mr. Sinister and the team, which includes Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Spider-Man, and Laura Kinney as Wolverine. And again, with each of these Hunt for Wolverine stories, they feel so unique. And I feel like that's super important with something like this, something that is telling kind of one cohesive story at the same time, but via four different passageways and and narratives. They have to feel so different. And, you know, I, I just give huge applause to these creative teams, to Charles Soule, to the editors for maintaining that distinctive quality across the books. As we go to the last few pages, there's a really, really cool Iron Man thing that happens. I don't want to say it, but it's awesome. And it's something like, it's one of those things you never knew you wanted to see until you see it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like what Charles, one of the things that he wanted to do in sort of orchestrating all these hunt for Wolverine stories was give each of them important stakes and, and character elements and things that happen to the people in the book that make them important beyond past telling the story of that everybody's looking for Wolverine. Mm -hmm. and we're getting a, like stuff that I was not expecting at all in this. Uh, big shout out to R.B. Silva. He's so good and he's so young. He's got vibes of Stuart Eminem in here. He's a phenomenon to watch out for. On to Infinity Countdown, Dark Hawk number 
four giant robots with weird purple organic gut parts? You bet. Talking space android birds? Oh yeah. Death's Head fighting side by side with Nova and Darkhawk? Uh-huh. This part of the Darkhawk Infinity Saga is over, but the final page is so 90s-tastic, I can barely handle it. This issue was by Chris Sims and Chad Bowers on the writing side with art by Gang Hyuk Lim and letters by Travis Lanham. It's funny you mentioned Mr. Stephen Wacker early in this episode because I had him down in my notes here. I saw him tweet this week. He was tweeting about a few comics that he's reading, and he said something about Miss Marvel that really... That really struck a chord with me, and it felt so true. He said, it's the most consistent Marvel comic, and I totally, totally agree. It is so fun to read every single issue, never disappoints, and it is so tonally specific every time. And and I think entering the world of Miss Marvel and of Jersey City and of what writer G. Willow Wilson creates is just such a delight every time. It feels like nostalgia every time in a weird way. It feels like just classic old school comics love. It's written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Nico Leon, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by Joe Caramagna. And this is issue number 32. In this one, we see Kamala with kind of who is not in control of her powers. She's experiencing some weird stuff. This is the start of a new arc, which is really cool and very exciting. And with that, in the the same line where we said earlier, there's certain uh, changes happening to different characters. That definitely feels true here as Kamala's embiggening powers are a little bit out of control. And it's cool to see her managing that while also trying to manage some supervillain badness going down in her hometown. And uh, it, it looks like this is the start of a challenging time for her in a new way that I feel like she talks about a lot in the issue that she hasn't quite experienced since she first went through the Terragenesis and, and got her powers. And so bringing her back to that is a really interesting challenge to see this character go through. Tucker, did you notice the dude in the pizzeria yes. with the sword? I'm thinking when you said that, my mind went to X-23 and another dude in the background of another restaurant that we'll talk about in a little bit maybe, but... Maybe there's a dude in the pizzeria. <laughs> it's just one of those little things that Nico Leone does. He puts little touches. So they're in this pizzeria and there's a guy sitting by the window and he's got a sword leaning up against the, the wall and you, you'll see it. Right there. Yeah. Right there. It's like, what, what's his deal? What's going on there? <laughs> I need to know. Also, yeah. I need Willow to, to write shocker more because him just going into Jersey being the big dog and just like strutting around. Yeah. I was eating that up. It was so good. All right, next book is New Mutants, Dead Souls, number five. Written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Adam Gorham, colors by Michael Garland and Andrew Crossley, letters by Clayton Cowles. This issue also makes me want to see Matt and Adam do a run on Doctor Strange because you've got the New Mutants. They go to Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum for a mission. There's a whole bunch of Michigas that they have to go through. There's a few page sequence in here, though, where Rain and Guido are walking through their own private hells and it is wild. It's so cool. It's like MC Escher-esque stuff mixed with... Master of Ceremonies Escher. Yep. Uh, my favorite uh, 18th century rapper. Uh, he, MC Escher was definitely not 18th century. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, uh, it's very, very cool. It goes from like the surreal, weird, scary stuff. Man, the book goes from horror to emotional to superhero fighting to comedy and talking snakes and and all kinds of different avenues. It goes through them so quickly, easily, and naturally. I love this team. I love what they're doing. This is a great book. 
Next up is Old Man Logan number 43. This is the start of another new arc called Bullseye Returns. This is written by Ed Brisson with art by Juan Ferreira, letters by Corey Petit. It's funny. There are moments where I kind of like surprise myself where I, I'm reading a book and I guess it's just down to the the, the volume of, of comics I read. But it, it just like as I was reading this, I kind of just had this sense where it's just like I'm looking at the panels and the art and I'm just like this art is all by one person isn't it you can start to figure like, yeah i'm really i'm proud of you Tucker. well thank you that's great uh you can really feel it and juan ferrer does an incredible job my first this. line of notes is yo juan ferrer <laughs> uh this i believe this is the first issue he's done for marvel i mean uh, that's awesome wow yeah it's incredible i mean all the way down the line pencils inks colors it's it's got this great kind of almost watercolory yep. touch to it. A little bit of uh, reference points for a lot of our more seasoned readers and listeners. His style is a kind of a mix, to my eye, of Derek Robertson with a European vibe, especially when you get into the textures and the colors that you're talking about, Tucker, and the shapes of his figures. He adds like a grisly, grizzled and dangerous look to Wolverine mm-hmm. uh, that is so good. Sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like perfect casting for this story because, yeah, like you said, it, it just fits tonally so, so well with uh, the old man Logan tone and with that character and with specifically what's going on in this story, which is something I love. It feels like a new, really interesting take on Bullseye by Ed Brisson, which is kind of like... He is a little bit mysterious. He's a little bit mischievous. He's quite literally leaving calling cards behind in certain ways, whether that's like bloody messages on people's walls or whether that's literally with cards and doing bad things with them. But it is a really, really interesting kind of fun, dark, twisted spin on that character, which I really, really love to read. It's a guy who's been through a lot. I don't know if mentally he's, I know mentally he's not all like there. He's like died and come back, I think several times. He was forced to dress up as Hawkeye, pretend to be Hawkeye on the Dark Avengers. Nobody should be uh, forced to pretend to be Hawkeye, but everybody should read the Bullseye limited series that Ed wrote. Uh, That came out like a year or two ago. It's ultra violent but really, really good and is a very good sort of preamble to this, setting up a couple of the characters who show up in here and sort of that tone that you you really like from this. You get that in that Bullseye series. It's real good. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. And there's a, a really great cover by Mike Diodato Jr. and Carlos Lopez, which kind of captures that spirit. Yeah. It's kind of funny. He has like this insane look on his face that's like a halfway between like a sneer and like a crazy smile. Yep. And it just, it just fits perfectly for how he's on the fringes of this entire issue. And it's going to be so cool to see how these characters further clash moving forward yeah next book may surprise you when i say that the punisher issue number 227 has a moment that probably made me laugh hardest that i've laughed at any single gag in a comic all year long in the pages of the punisher (laughs) which is written by matthew rosenberg art by stefano landini colors by lee lowridge and letters by Corey petit it's this interaction between frank castle and bucky barnes and punisher You can't tell if he's serious or he's teasing or he just doesn't give a crap that he thinks Winter Soldier is someone else. I lost it. I, my wife was like, what are you laughing at? I was like, 
this line in the book. She's like, let me see it. She laughed too. It was good. <laughs> but we've got Frank, Bucky, and Natasha. They're heading to a super prison, but Hydra's already there. It's a super violent action comedy issue with heroes and villains in riots and, and all these terrific moments. In the middle of the prison riot is one of my favorite lines. It's Punisher killing so many of them. And Bucky says, we have a plan for this. Frank says, I've been planning for this my whole life. And he's just like, <laughs> and like the hate breed comes on. He's like, explosions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also, I love, I loved Matt Rosenberg's tales of suspense. It's like maybe my favorite limited series that I've read so far during my time at Marvel. So to have Bucky and Natasha get pulled into this other story feels so right. Moving on, we have Quicksilver, No Surrender. This is part three, which is written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Eric Wynn and Paul Renaud, colors by Rico Renzi and Paul Renaud, and letters by Clayton Cowles. We spoke uh, about Saladin and his tastes and the directions that he takes the comics that he's writing right now in, and this one is feels to me totally in line with that. I mean, I remember doing an interview with him uh, maybe a couple months back before this series started, specifically about his love for Quicksilver, and he has an obvious love for this character and for mutants and mutant history and things like that. And you can really feel that coming through in the pages of this issue because it is pretty much all about Pietro's dynamic with his sister Wanda, the history between Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, their family dynamics, their superhero history, those dynamics put together, kind of all thrown in since they were little kids through to present. This is a great primer, like origin issue. Yeah. It's also really cool reading this this week, given the events in X-Men Blue number 31, because that deals with the past and present and future of old daddy-o, Mr. Magneto, in a way that I loved. But this issue ends up being a really cool not self-contained, but almost in a way where we see Pietro go through a lot in this issue. And, you know, it, we'll see. We'll, we, we've yet to see the effects and the impact of what happens here in to how he is trying to escape his situation. I also want to give a, a special shout out to Martin Simmons, who does a really, really great cover this week for Quicksilver No Surrender, which is a great one of, of uh, Wanda and Pietro. Next issue. Oh, boy. It's tremendous. It is Star Wars Darth Vader number 18, written by Charles Soule. Uh, the old Kachucklehead back again uh, <laughs> with layouts by Giuseppe Camoncoli, finishes by Danielle Orlandini, colors by David Curiel, letters by Joe Caramagna. Hell to the yeah. Oh, man. We, uh, when, Ryan, when we saw each other mm. uh, like for the first time today, like this is the first thing we talked about. It is in incredible we're kind of between arcs in a way here where we wrapped up a, a big arc on Moncala and we know we're moving into a really cool arc where we discover how Vader establishes his fortress on Mustafar so you know there are these really great opportunities like this issue where we can just see a self-contained story and that has the potential to just be like oh this is a really cool thing that might just happen something incidental but Charles takes this to a whole nother level, a whole different plane of existence, because not only does it completely, you know, transform how we view this character in this comic series, but in terms of the dynamic and relationship between Grand Moff Tarkin and Darth Vader, it is informative in such a huge new way. You know what it informed me about? Tarkin's first name 
which is Wilhof or Wilhof. <laughs> I imagine it's a Wilhof. Oh yeah. But I just I got so delighted when I found that out. It was just like, yeah. oh, great news, everybody. We know his name. <laughs> Maybe you already knew it. But everybody I celebrate. Yeah. One of my favorite panels of the week happens in this issue. There's this amazingly metal image of Vader. It's him one leg up on a rock. Looking out in the distance, his armor in tatters, like he's been through so much. He's got the skin of an animal, which we find out is an incredibly large and deadly beast draped around his shoulder. It's just so badass. And Tarkin sees him through his, you know, spy glasses and he's just like, no, he wants us to see him. Yeah. yeah. Great. (laughs) It's funny. It's funny you mentioned like when you said there's this one really badass image immediately. I knew which one you were talking right? about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I will say this is one of my all time favorite star Wars issues mm-hmm. and a really great horror issue too, because that's part of what, what I love about this one. It's about Tarkin hunting Vader, but also then Vader hunting Tarkin mm-hmm. and the forces there. There are a few panels in which Tarkin and his team, which has been dwindling through the course of the story when they believe they're safe. The last two of, of this one page have the lines, and then, just that quickly, death is among us. Mm. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's so good. And the pages after that, there's this two-page spread after that, which is just terror and menace and wonderful prose from Tarkin's point of view. And then it has one of the dopest endings in Star Wars, Yeah, especially talking about how it frames the way we look at that relationship now. Mm-hmm. I would say, go back, watch A New Hope with this issue in yeah. mind, and you're yeah. just like... Damn. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, we kind of thought like, you know, it, it was more or less like a workplace political power struggle. But this issue informs it in such a deeply personal beef between these two characters and introduces that that goes back knowing that this series takes place very shortly after the events of Revenge of the Sith. This is early Vader. So seeing and knowing that that relationship is like decades deep and is that personal for that long it is so awesome we have another star wars book this week which is star wars thrawn number six which is written by jody hauser jody on double duty this week also writing renew your vows with art by luke ross and colors by nolan woodard letters by clayton cowles this is the final issue of this thrawn limited series jody and company set out to tell Timothy Zahn's Thrawn novel uh, in comic book form. And man, have they done an incredible job. This was really great because this felt like this felt the most comic book. It felt like the, the story fits so well into this medium with this issue specifically. And I really, really, really enjoyed that. For those of that have a familiarity with Star Wars lore and specifically with the lore of Thrawn, we know that this insurgency on Bataan is how the character earned his rank of Grand Admiral, which is the calling card, the the big kind of stamp that he places on the table every time he walks around. He is in charge of a, a big wing of the Imperial fleet, and we see him earning his stripes in this series as a whole, but we really see it come to a head in this issue, and I really, really loved it. There are also some really cool, like, seamless tie-ins into Star Wars Rebels, the TV show, and just a, a really cool page and panel and little discussion that happens about that because Thrawn plays a big role in that, specifically in the later seasons, which is really awesome. So to see that these threads be tied up via this comic and told in, in this medium is so, so much fun. And uh, yeah, Zon Thrawn has officially been enshrined 
into comic book history. And I thought Jody and the entire team did a really excellent job of telling a pretty complex, pretty personal story into this medium. And I, th- and I really, really enjoyed it. It also makes me want to read the new Thrawn book. Oh, yeah. 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 There's a great little kind of tease for it, I guess you could say, in that mm. we've seen Vader and Thrawn just passingly, kind of like almost literally rubbing shoulders in hallways in this, but you know they don't really interact that much. And then as we kind of move towards the end, and as we know what Star Wars Thrawn Alliance is, which is the new Zahn novel, which looks like it's going to focus on Vader and Thrawn's relationship in particular. It's just another thread that's popping out of this story, which is so, so good. Heck yeah. All right, next up we've got Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 34, written by Ryan North, art by Derek Charm, colors by Rico Renzi, letters by Travis Lanham. Squirrel Girl and the gang being in prison leaves so many opportunities for jokes. you got prison food. There's a four-panel dot matrix printer bit, which, when I say it out loud, may not be the most exciting thing, but man, it kills. I lost it's it. It's like the most Northian joke yeah. ever. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. so Ryan funny. Ryan North, I hope he got up off, like wherever he was sitting and typing and just started strutting around <laughs> like, I wrote this. I did this. It's happening. If you, like me, were hyped for Mojo 2 being in the book recently, be sure you read the bottom text in this issue. I mean, you should always read in the bottom text of an issue of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Ryan North writes a great run DMC gag that just slayed me in one of the bottom like lines in here. It's so good. I went out to lunch with editor Will Moss recently and we were talking about Craven in this book and how much I love him. But no spoilers. I am eagerly awaiting the next issue because I need to see what's up. Another excellent squirrel girl. Excellent. X dash C E L L E N T X 23 is an excellent book. One of my picks of the week. I was wondering what you were doing there, but it worked. Uh, This is X-23 number one, and it's written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Juan Cabal, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by Corey Petit. Just right off the bat, Mariko Tamaki gets it. She so gets it. She gets this character. It is like a blindingly obvious choice to pair Mariko with... Laura Kinney with Gabby. She just, she is so funny. She knows the characters. She captures the tone so perfectly. It's really cool, you know, knowing that there are big changes on the horizon for the Wolverine name, for the mantle, and to see Laura go back to her roots in a certain way and dealing with her upbringing and her her own existence. That's a big theme that goes on in this story, which is called Two Birthdays and Three Funerals. And it takes place on Laura's birthday. How big of an impact that has, I think you'll have to read to find out. But it's really interesting to see Laura via that really simple, cool little choice, that little device, see how that makes her deal with herself, makes her question herself, her her existence, her life, her being, and then how she relates to Gabby in a similar way. I'll say at the end of the day, any book with Gabby, a.k.a. Honey Badger, is going to be one of my favorites. And this is absolutely the case. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I wasn't sure how I'd feel about this book because I loved All New Wolverine so deeply oh, and yeah. completely that a new direction was something, i be honest with you, I was a little worried about. I, you know, it's like I fear change sometimes. <laughs> uh, and wow, they crushed it. They just they, they nailed it. Part of that, of course, is Juan Cabal's art. 
He did a bunch of issues of All New Wolverine. So he has Laura and Gabby and Jonathan down perfectly, especially Laura and Gabby, their facial expressions, their reactions, their movements, the dynamic between those two, them trying to be more than they were made to be. He nails it. And plus we have Jonathan. We get a Marvel falafel restaurant mm-hmm. with a few really terrific gags. Yeah. Uh, the t-shirts, the slogans. Uh, there's some real, some dingers in there that I was just delighted. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about yeah. earlier when you mentioned the the pizza restaurant in Ms. Marvel. Yeah. So I was thinking about this one. It's really great. Yeah. I dug Mariko Tamaki's Hulk, which was really rooted in dealing with pain and trauma and personal issues. And that fits so well for Laura and what she's gone through and what she is working through continuously. And it actually really threw me a loop for the last couple of pages of where we were going with this. I am, yeah, a easy pick for me to say, jump on this X-23 train. So good. Last book of the week for the new issues is X-Men Blue, number 31, written by Colin Bunn, art by Jorge Molina, colors by Matt Mila, letters by Joe Caramagna. There's some really cool Magneto psyche and history stuff in here. And I implore you, Tucker, Listeners, whomever, if you've never read Magneto Testament by Greg Pak and Carmine D. Gian Domenico, do it now. Throw whatever you're doing to the floor. If you've got a baby, gently put it down. <laughs> if you've got a pet, let them down. If you've got a car, get out of your car right now. Whatever you're Just doing, get out stop of it. it. While it's moving. Right now. Go read Magneto <laughs> Testament. Holy crap, it's so good. It really informed how you think about Magneto. And it, it also informs how like the movies sort of portray Magneto. It's, mm-hmm. it's really tied and just laying out who he is. Really well done. And, and it is a lot of what's in this issue is a lot of Magneto stuff. All right, uh, what do we got? We got four more issues this week. They're all $1 True Believers comics. You got True Believers, Fantastic Four, Galactus Hungers, Fantastic Four, Hulk versus Thing. Marvel 2-in-1, number one, and Fantastic Four versus Doctor Doom. All four of those run you one single dollar. We were just talking about it just before. All New Wolverine is one of the collections on sale this week. All New Wolverine, Volume 6, Old Woman Laura. Then we have Captain America, Epic Collection, Hero or Hoax, Captain America, Masterworks, Volume 10, Despicable Deadpool, Volume 3, The Marvel Universe Kills Deadpool, Star Wars, Dr. Aphra, Volume 3, Remastered, Thor by Walter Simonson, Volume 4, New Edition, and Wolverine, Old Man Logan, Volume 7, Scarlet Samurai. Yeah, there's um, some stuff on the Marvel app, not a ton of backfill issues. Uh, There's some Dracula comics in there that super cool. Always love a good Dracula's. Digital stuff, what we talked about, plus Superhero Squad is now, we've got a, a volume of that, as well as Marvel Adventures, Avengers. If you're looking for good kids comics can't go wrong with either of those freshly digitized on marvel unlimited a bunch of like 10 issues of master of kung fu from the 70s which is really neat a couple of issues of warlock and the infinity watch and some submariner stuff from back in the day so tons of stuff we'll have the links and list to all that stuff on marvel.com in the news story in the show notes i think that about covers it Woo! yeah as i noted earlier in the show we're gonna do this week of marvel we won't be digging into our picks. We've already talked about those, but we are digging into some of the greatest 350th issues in Marvel Comics history. Hopefully all of them. I think I found (laughs) 10. Wow. uh, Nine of which you can read on Marvel Unlimited. We had Robin and the Marvel Unlimited folks put together a little page for us. So uh, we'll put a link to that in the news story and the the show notes if you want to read up on those 350th landmark issues for this week's 
episode 350 of This Week in Marvel. Wow, awesome. Yeah, we're doing it, guys. That's it for this week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.